Hey everyone, welcome to Livestream Stars. I'm Ross Brand. This is a show where we feature talented broadcasters delivering high quality content across live stream platforms. And let me know if you can see me. Can you see me on the screen or are you still seeing uh, the video? Throw one up in the chat if you can see me. Okay, now you should be able to see me or Paul. I think we have this thing straightened out, technology. Uh, let me first say that uh, I'm so thrilled to have uh, Paul Raimondo joining me all the way from Australia. I believe it's only, what, 7 o'clock in the morning over there? It's very early. Okay, uh, now we're now we should be good. It is seven o'clock in the morning there over uh, Perth time. Yeah, if you so, can you hear me real quick? Yeah, I can hear you now. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So just ticked over seven a.m. So nice wow. sunny spring day. It's uh, yeah, it's so, quite nice outside. <laughs> let me first say thank you for for getting up and and making time to do this so early in the morning. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, one of the things we we want to talk about here on uh, live stream stars is digital marketing and specifically uh, Facebook advertising. And this is where Paul is a master. Paul is, as we said, joining us all the way from Australia. He's the founder and managing director of Mamundo Media. He specializes in helping entrepreneurs and marketers drive qualified leads to their website using Facebook ads and increasing their total online sales using digital marketing funnels. Paul generated 250,000 in sales in 32 days using Facebook advertising. Wow, that's amazing. And social media, you can find Paul at Paul Raimondo, P-A-U-L-R-A-M-O-N-D-O. The website is paulramondo.com. And you have raimondomedia.com coming soon. Tell us about that new venture. So that's just my digital marketing agency. Uh, the website's really been a uh, <laughs> the website really should be up, but I've uh, I've chosen to make more of a conscious. This is a conscious choice, but I've chosen to make more of a conscious effort and invest a lot more of my time into uh, my other website, which is poorremonitor.com, um, which is where you can learn heaps of cool stuff about digital marketing and Facebook ads. Oh, cool. So let's start with Facebook advertising right there. I mean. 250k, 251 something, I think it was, or 252,000 in 30 in just over a month. Think about that. Um, driving traffic to your website—is that how you went about doing those sales? Was it through your website, or how? Where? Where were you? What was the conversion that you were measuring in order to sure. to get somebody to the point where they were making the sale? Yeah. So um, those uh, those results are based on a case study, or those were the, I wrote a case study, which ba were based on those results. And I was able to achieve those results for one of my clients earlier this year. And um, my clients in the sports nutrition vertical and the product that we were selling through, uh, you know, a dedicated website that we built for the campaign that we were running. Um, the, yeah, the product that we were selling was a hybrid product. So it was a mix between an information product, which had a heaps of, uh, I guess, intellectual value and heaps of um, utility from a learning perspective. And then it was also a physical product at the same time. So it was that kind of cross section between the two. And um, that was, you know, it was a price point of around $129 to $149. And um, we rolled out, we rolled out this really cool strategy and um, able to, you know, over over the space of that 32 days, we're able to convert, um, you know, about $16,000 worth of ad spend into, you know, just over a quarter of a million dollars of uh, top line sales, which is re really, really cool. It was a good result. Well, that's that's what's really, you know, impressive about it is that you're, you're talking about needing to sell at a high volume, right? You're talking about 100 under $150 per item uh, per purchase. So you're not talking about, you know, a high price point and, and then you just sell a couple and okay, you had a good month and you hit that. You're talking about a lot of sales to get to, to, to get that to that 250 K level. Um, is this <laughs> a process that other people can learn and can, can replicate? I, I mean, was this a, you know, just a great month or is this something that you have uh, developed in terms of a strategy that you think is applicable in other situations? 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, and I mean, if we're going to talk about results, I think any results, you know, regardless of the field, whether it's digital marketing or, um, you know, any other field, like they can be replicated if you can work right. out you know, exactly what the process was behind it. And um, I, I honestly think that, yes, the results that I, that I achieved, whilst they are very, you know, impressive and big numbers and happy good times, like there was just a really methodical, like strategy that went on behind it, which really just valued the customer or basically the strategy um, that we that we rolled out really just made the customer centric in the journey. It wasn't about what we were trying to sell. It was about how we were trying to help the end customer at the end of the day. And I feel like if you can, um, you know, if you can build your marketing messages and you can build the way in which you sell your products and services, regardless of the vertical that you're in, if you can build the way in which you sell those products and services uh, to your customers in a, you know, in a way that's focused on building that relationship by solving problems first and right. getting to know that customer before you go and try and, um, you know, ask them to marry you or, uh, you know, right. in, in a sense of like getting them to buy your stuff. I think right. you can have a lot of success because people appreciate that and people appreciate, you know, you know, being courted and um, a brand or a business building a relationship with them and then asking them to, you know, buy something from them. So I think, yeah, like if you can understand how to build that relationship and solve that problem with your audience before you go and like immediately try and sell something to people, um, you can have a lot of success, especially online. What role, if any, does live video and live streaming have in that process for you? Not necessarily that that specific case study we were talking about, but it, just in the in that process of you know building the relationship and then selling has 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 live video had for you? For sure. I mean, let's uh, um, so live video wasn't specifically um, applicable to that you know the results that I got in that case study, but if we're, let me be completely honest and just give you know I guess uh, everyone that's uh, watching or watching on replay or watching live right now kind of like a look behind the scenes. Right now, like I just got up at super early, um, which I'm more than happy to do, right? And come and talk to you about Facebook ads at seven o'clock here. I can still be in bed right now, but that's super cool. This is a wicked <laughs> opportunity. And it gives me the opportunity, like live streaming, live video gives the opportunity, you know, for people to kind of get in, well, for me to get in front of people, help them out, solve, you know, solve as many problems as I can for them. And for me, if we just like go, you know, all the way back and if we're completely honest, for me, like, yeah, I love helping people and I, I love, you know, getting people to increase their skill level so they can benefit themselves in their own business. But for me, if we look at the long-term strategy, I'm like, cool, if I provide this value up front now, like there's a likelihood that people may get into my content eco stream and they may start following me and they may, you know, like my brand. And potentially that's, that's the very foundation of a relationship that I can start scaling over the next few months with many people online by providing lots of utility and value up front. And then eventually, like if they want to buy one of my products, not saying they have to, but you know, right. if they want to buy one of my products, then it's definitely going to work favorably because I feel like people definitely want to, would rather buy something from someone they've trust and they built a rapport with and they built a relationship with that's actually helped them and hasn't treated them like a walking wallet. And then maybe down the track when I do try to sell something to people like that, oh cool, well like I trust this guy, his free stuff's really good, so his paid stuff must be even better. And I think right. it's that trust at the end of the day. Like I trust that person and I think that's a precursor to the selling, but people don't have to buy my stuff just like you don't have to buy any other consumers also any other um, businesses products. But I feel like you'd rather do business with people that you enjoy doing or that you like right. and that have actually made a conscious effort to invest in you rather than treating like a walking wallet. So it sounds like for you, um, live streaming isn't so much about necessarily pulling somebody in for a specific campaign as it is building relationships and building awareness that start that process or build that process of sort of trust and build the the sense that you know what you're talking about that you are a reliable person to work with that they like your personality and then one it could be a campaign now but it, it very likely could be down the road it sounds like Absolutely. you're looking at it from a big picture point of view rather than i gotta hit my target this month so i'm gonna jump on live video and that person's gonna sell to, i'm gonna sell to tomorrow oh, absolutely right? absolutely and yeah, full full precursor like that's just the way that i view it it's just my right. opinion and like other people may have different opinions and you know just an opinion like there's no right in my mind you know there's no right or wrong way to do it but if we look at the conventional um you know funnel if we will of kind of using my brand as an example and what's happening with live streaming right now like 
the, you know, it would bring this into my funnel and we're imagining like awareness and just general right. kind of brand exposures up the top and, you know, making some sales down the bottom. So I'm trying to do this little, these hand movements in the screen <laughs> of my video. So if we imagine awareness is like up the top and little like uh, selling, selling down the bottom, like live stream would definitely be up the top, pulling people that have, you know, not heard of my um, brand before. I'm sure there's people that, um, you know, are watching right now. Well, I hope there's new people that are watching right now that haven't heard uh, they're like, oh, who's this, who's this dude that's speaking like 100 miles an hour that's got an Australian accent? And that's really cool because it means I'm exposing my brand to new people, and that's super cool. And if they've gotten value from this chat, like, if, you know, and it's all in real time, it's all live, so there's no kind of, right. um, there's no, uh, you know, special edits or anything going going on behind the scenes. If I can do that, I can get in front of people, I can help them, and that's super cool because it means that in the future, then potentially, um. I might be able to sell something to them. And then if I can't, then that's cool as well. But I feel like if you focus on, I'm going around in circles now, but I feel like if you focus on that value first, it just makes everyone's experience a lot better. And at the end of the day, like if you can help someone and, and you're not able to monetize that, then that's awesome because you've still been able to help someone. And that's cool. Right. So how did you get into digital marketing and building funnels and things like that? I'm sure... You know, when you were in high school or whatever, uh, college, you weren't going, okay, so this Facebook advertising thing's going to be I really big and I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'm going to build my funnels through Facebook advertising. Um, you know, so, so how did you become interested in, in that process? And, and then over time, obviously you've become really, really good at it. And, you know, you're starting your, your, your focus on your, your media website and all that. So. Uh, how, how did this whole process develop for you? That's a really good, it's a really good question, Ross. So <laughs> I've always, um, whether the term, whether the term nerd or geek, I feel like they're a little bit interchangeable. I think technically I would be considered more of a geek. Like I've always been a massive, massive geek. And, um, <laughs> I've always been like, yeah, like seriously massive geek. I mean, you should see my, my office is just like the cool thing about what I do now is that I've turned like what I do, what I do for a living. And I think this is the best thing, quick little life lesson for everyone. Like, I feel like it's really cool if you're able, or for me anyway, it's been really cool for me to have a cross section between what I really enjoy, my geeky, geeky interests, and then being able to monetize that. And then I'm like living in this cross section right now. And it's awesome because I've got like all this really, really geeky stuff in my office. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. My inner 13 year old is just really excited. Um, but yeah, dude, like I've just been a massive geek since I was a kid and um, I remember, I think we go way back. I remember building websites in, shit, I can't even remember the name of the platform. It was a Microsoft, this is how long ago, how long ago it was. I think I remember building websites on Windows 98 on my like cream, like family computer or computer that had been handed down to my brother and I, my parents. Um, and I remember building, I think Microsoft, Microsoft web page builder. I can't remember the exact name of the, the software, but I was building websites and that's what I was doing in my free time as like an eight, nine year old. Like that's kind of weird. And this is like circa, like that was 1998, 1999. This is a while ago. Um, and, you know, and that was trying to do it with dial up internet as well. So that was just a, a whole nother, whole nother. That was um, when I had my top of the line, one gig computer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> my one gig hard drive, right? Everyone, everyone had mad floppy disks. Yeah. Good times. You know, a floppy disk. Uh, I remember being really excited one day because I learned when I learned how to download music uh, legally uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> I remember, um, I remember getting really excited because I learned how to say I could save one song onto a floppy disk, and I was excited that I could wow. take that one song to other places. Except the only issue was I managed to save it onto the floppy disk, and then I couldn't like it just wouldn't play because the file formats wouldn't work on the other computer. So that was uh, that was fun, but. Basically, um, super long story short, massive, massive geek, and I've always really been into it. And um, in year 11, like I, that kind of all followed me throughout um, throughout high school. And in year 11, I won the digital media award uh, for the year um, at the high school that I went to, which was really cool. And then um, in year 11 and year 12, um, my final years of school, I always thought I was really good at accounting and economics, and I really enjoyed them. And then I kind of decided at that young age um, that I was going to become an accountant. Which I ended up doing. So I, I when I, I went to college and or university, and um, I ended up doing like a double. Oh, I was doing a double degree in uh, commerce and economics, and a double major in financial accounting and marketing. And um, mm. I was doing business law and economics as well. And then I realized that <laughs> I actually lived in the states for a while. So I lived in um, I lived in Vermont um, for a year of college, which was really really cool. And I kind of realized um, when I was away that uh, accounting wasn't really for me. It wasn't really. <laughs> 
conducive to my goals for the future. But, you know, I you still seem a really, little high really... energy for accounting. I don't think I've ever met such a yeah, like, no. creative, high energy accountant <laughs> before. <laughs> no yeah, offense so to any accountants. It's a methodical process. And you seem like somebody who's an ideas person. And, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're selling not just with your knowledge, but with your personality and your ability to build relationships. I, I would think you would kind of get frustrated if you were limited to one one more narrow field does that make sense yeah it makes total sense and i I appreciate that and i'm really i'm really (laughs) happy that um that i decided that i I decided when i was living in the states when i was in college in uh, vermont that i was uh not going to be pursuing the accounting but i was already so far in that i was like well i'm going to finish it and as much as i hated that part of my degree we go full circle having that um that background uh, has become, you know, really, really he- uh, helpful retrospectively because I'm like, oh, I've now got all this knowledge. So when I was starting my co- my company, um, you know, I was doing all my own books and it was all 100% legit. And um, so that skill came in really handy, despite the fact that I thought I'd never right. use it, which was kind of it, cool. It's but- nice to be a marketer, particularly one who can can record some nice results with sales, who also understands finance and accounting oh, and all absolutely. that kind of stuff. It all comes in handy, and it's it's another way to have kind of an edge in the field to be able to have that financial knowledge and yeah and i'm really grateful that i you know as much as i hate it i'm really grateful when i look back that i've got that background because i definitely think you're right like i definitely think as much as i don't like to think that it does it definitely i think it helps me or just even the general understanding of how it all works is definitely um helpful for you know for when i'm working on campaigns or and for you know running my business so that's kind of like the whole nutshell story. And then I kind of got into doing Facebook ads um, around the age of 18. Um, and I this was back in the day. So I started my um, my stint on social media marketing because I've always loved social media. I've had a, my, I had a MySpace account back in 2003 and I've been on social since 2003. So it's been a while. I'm like young or like I'm old now. I'm like, oh, it's so awful. But, um, you know, I remember being 13, 14 on MySpace and it was just, I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I could like customize my MySpace page with HTML. It was just like super cool. Um, but then um, I kind of got my start with social media marketing at, uh, to, uh, in 2008. And that was with MySpace doing, um, I used to be an alternative uh, musician, emo kind of looking dude. And, um, you know, long hair and straightened hair and all that kind of fun stuff. And we used to basically use both MySpace and Facebook. Um, Facebook being, uh, you know, there was pretty much no ads back on Facebook back then because it was pre-IPO right. and they hadn't even rolled out much of their ads platform. But we were getting unprecedented amount of free marketing and free traffic and free reach using organic MySpace and organic Facebook back in 2008. And that's where I saw the opportunity and the people that I, we were working to get, that I was working with, we saw the opportunity to kind of ditch all of our traditional marketing that we were using to promote shows and go all in on social and digital because it was free and it was right. map, it mapped to what everyone was using and it just made sense. And we just, it was free and it was effective and it worked. And right. um, ever since then I was kind of, uh, I kind of was, I was hooked and uh, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> Let's let's get into Facebook advertising a little bit, um, because I think a lot of the people who are watching this here on on Blue Jeans or on Facebook Live probably have a Facebook page. Um, they post from time to time. Some people maybe post every day, multiple times. Other people, you know, when they have something that they want to share. Um, but the 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 if if you haven't really gotten under the hood with Facebook advertising, it can be a little bit intimidating, a little bit confusing. You know that, you know, your posts, except for live video, get very limited reach on a Facebook page. So talk about just a few of the basics that people should know if they're starting out with Facebook advertising, if they just want to make a decision, what is this and and is it for me? For sure. Um, all right, so I'll go super, super basic. Um, so if you are like total Facebook noob and you've never done Facebook ads before and you've got a business page and you want to get more people interacting with your business, um, right. I think the first thing you need to do is just basically start with your goal, okay? So work out whether your goal is to drive general awareness, work out whether your goal is to drive um, you know, build build more relationships with people that are already, you know, involved with your business, or maybe your goal is to um, build email opt-ins, 
or maybe your goal is to work, you know, actually sell stuff. If you've never done Facebook ads before, I'd probably recommend staying away from the um, maybe the first two. Like I would stay away from maybe the first or so stay away from the second two and focus on just the awareness. So don't worry about selling and don't worry about trying to build too much too strong of a relationship with your ads just yet because I feel like it's kind of a process you need to you know walk before so yeah you can crawl before you can walk right and um I think starting with that goal first is really important and being able to I think also um having a decent amount of content um that provides value or some kind of um you know if you think of your content as a piece of marketing which is technically what it is provide right. despite the fact that you're helping people you need really need to have something really valuable that you can promote and use to drive awareness and um, if you can do that and that's, you know, you're a complete noob and that's where you, that's probably where you want to start. And then um, so you've got to have the content. And then the next step I'd really recommend doing is doing your research. And like I don't like research. Well, I like research because of the results that it can bestow upon me. But I'm just like, oh, I want to get into it. Let's do it. Um, but doing your research is super important because you've got to work out who's out there and you've got to work out how many people you can potentially reach and um you know what their interests are and um how you're going to get in front of those people so doing your research using um facebook audience insights is um which is a tool that free tool by facebook is really really important and um if you've never used audience insights before i definitely recommend um basically trying to build out an archetype of what your perfect customer looks like um mm -hmm. you know geographic location age and also look at the type of pages that um, they might like on Facebook um, that may that are similar to your pages and or the page that you're promoting in your business. And the biggest tip I can give for doing audience insights research is to look to build an audience between like 300,000 and 3 million people. And then what you want to do is uh, make sure that that audience has a you know a great amount of affinity. So you're looking for an affinity category, which you'll see on the right if you get into audience insights. Um, right. People can replay this later and uh, take notes, but um, you're basically <laughs> looking to build the most amount of affinity with your potential audience within that size. And then you want to go out and start testing with a really small budget, say $5 a day to build, um, start sending those um, that, that content out to people. And what you're essentially doing is sending your content out to an audience that you think is your, you know, within the realms of your target market. And then you let Facebook do the rest of the heavy lifting. And there's a lot of other stuff you can do to decrease your average you cost. You can get all that stuff. information by looking at Facebook insights. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of audience research, Facebook insights yeah. is definitely, definitely um, where you want to go. So those are the two main things I would uh, really, really focus on before even thinking about um, launching some ads. And then the rest, right. the rest, there's so much more, more that I could talk about, but I think that's the important thing you need to get started. And so then you would start with that $5 boost a post thing. You would start boosting a post for $5. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even touch. I don't like boosting posts mainly okay. because you lose uh, the control. This is just me, but I feel like you lose a lot of control when you, um when you boost posts, it's really easy. Okay, but so I that doesn't do. give you the ability to bring those insights in then when you boost a post, Facebook I, honestly, just kind of. Potentially, I actually, I don't, I've never, that's a lie. I've maybe boosted two posts in my life and the last time I boosted the post was over a year ago. Um, and that's just because I don't like the lack of control. Because if I'm going to be investing, my 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 mindset on it is if I'm going to be investing advertising dollars in, to get in front of my audience, I want to make sure I'm getting in front of the right people and not leaving any of it to chance. Um, right. So I use um, I use Facebook's Power Editor to do all of my ads. And if Power Editor's, you know, uh, if it's, it seems a bit daunting, because it can be a bit daunting if you've never used it before, uh, Facebook Ads Manager is um, is a lot easier to use, but it's a lot more powerful than using um, the boost post method. Right, right. And so for $5 a day, if you look at the insights, you get a sense of what, who you're targeting, who's who, what, what pages are similar, what the affinities are, all that kind of stuff, right? And you spend $5 a day, you can see an impact. Oh, definitely, definitely. And that if, research. Yeah, definitely. I mean, all other things being equal, I would say yes, definitely. But um, the thing is, the, the, the great thing about Facebook um, is that you can get kind of um, instant gratification, which is it's really cool. And you can also get immediate the immediate results. But you can also be pretty much told within the space of 24 hours whether um, you're right or wrong. And that's why it's really cool to test because, you know, 
I'm like, oh, I'm really good at what I do on Facebook ads. But even me, I like, and I always try to be, I always try to humble myself because I'm like, I want the reason this is why we test, right? I want to prove myself wrong because I would rather test at $5 a day for like a week, drop $25 over five business days and <laughs> my, for my ads to perform absolutely terribly. Cause what that allows me to then do is be like, all right, I, what was I wrong about? And then you go on and kind of like, you know, sift through all of the stuff that you've done. Was my messaging wrong? Was my content wrong? Was my audience right. wrong? Was my bidding wrong? And it allows you to kind of improve your marketing message and improve the results that you're getting from it without wasting a lot of money up front. And then the flip side of that is once you've worked out a, you know, a method and a strategy to um, get really great results at a low price, then you can think about scaling it and increasing your budget because you know what you're doing is actually working right. and you have that kind of like confidence that you're not going to be throwing away your money or, you know, just emptying your wallet and getting no return from it. Right, right. Well, that's a terrific introduction for, for people who are starting out or trying to move from a basic level to the next level. And Rachel asks, um, she actually mentions here in the chat that she uh, has had success, a lot of success with boosting, but only at the five or ten dollar uh, for extra oomph level. Uh, but she asks a question that's interesting. Um, she's asking on behalf of a friend. Uh, what does dark? What role does dark social play in successful Facebook advertising strategy? I, I so, always hear Gary Vaynerchuk used to talk constantly about oh, Facebook about dark, posts. dark posts are yeah. the most, and I assume that's what she's referring to. I always hear him talking about, or or at least I did about six months to a year ago. It's like Facebook dark posts are the best deal going for for online advertising or something like that. So. What is that, and what is dark? What role does dark social play for people sure, sure, in successful sure Facebook thing. advertising strategy? So yeah, I mean, I thank you, thank you for the question, Rachel. So basically, the uh, process that I was just describing earlier uh, is essentially would be considered dark, dark advertising. Um, and really, all that means is that it's just using you're promoting content or you're promoting ads that don't show up on your um, organic newsfeed essentially. So if you wanted to like for, I do, I do a lot of split testing. So I'll test a lot of different variations of ads um, mm -hmm. to work out which are going to net me the lowest results. Right. So for example, um, there's an article on my website um, called seven Facebook ad hacks for cheaper clicks. And I've done a, like a lot of split testing with that article and I've split tested that article to maybe four or five different audiences um, mm -hmm. So I've used four or five different ad sets and then inside each of those ad sets, there were 50 different variations of that, those same ads in those different five, ad, those five different ad sets. So we do the math and I'm terrible at math, but what's that? Two, 250, no, that's 2,550 times, no. I'm not going to do the math because I'm terrible at math, but um, there was a lot of, <laughs> like a lot of ads. Let's, let's just call it, let's just call it 250 ads, right? Right. Or you know, 400, let's call it 400 ads. Um, and those 400 ads were all variations of the same ad. Granted, there were different headlines, different, um, you know, different colors in the images mm -hmm. and different descriptions, but essentially they were all the same ads. So if you were to try and roll those ads out, you know, organically through your, you know, your normal Facebook page, my Facebook reach would just go down to the ground and everyone would unlike my page and be like, this guy's just spamming me because right, right. I've just promoted all this stuff from my Facebook page. So doing dark advertising, um, doing dark social allows you to go and target and test heaps of different things without, um, you know, clogging up people's news feeds. And when it doesn't work, you can just turn it off, which is really cool. But in their news feed, does it appear natively or does it appear as like sort of a sidebar advertisement? Sorry, say, say that one again. Those po the posts that you're using, you're doing this testing with, right? Yep. Or, or other posts that you pay for as kind of dark social posts, right? Are, are they showing up natively in followers newsfeed or are they showing up like there's certain sidebar advertisements like i'll see little advertisements off to the side of the newsfeed sometimes yep. as well where, where would those show up so all of the above so like you can basically tell facebook where you want to distribute your content and your ads so if you want to run your ads to um instagram and only target people on instagram then you can do that if you want to run your ads to the mobile newsfeed then you can do that if you want to run your ads to people that only have android devices and exclude your ads from anyone that has ios devices then you can do that mm -hmm. if you want them to be on the side um sidebar of the newsfeed you can do that you can also recycle and reuse um 
organic posts that you've um, had on your Facebook wall in the past and then distribute those posts and give them more reach as well if you wanted to do that too. But they don't uh, actually reappear on the wall another time or on no, the new No, no, they feed. don't. They just on your they just timeline. Just, timelines. That's correct. Exactly. So, you know, Rachel mentions dark posts and dark social are different. Dark posts and dark social are different. Um, Facebook dark posts, definitely a tactic of using newsfeed style ads that do not actually get published to the newsfeed of your page and uh, very effective when targeting mobile. Um, so when I hear like dark social or dark posts, at least I'm thinking like dark SEO, like somebody maybe is trying to, you know, game the system in a way that's not legitimate. Dark posts or, or, or what Gary Vaynerchuk talks about when he talks about, you know, using Facebook dark ads or whatever, that that's all legitimate. It's just doing that research behind the scenes and segmenting your audience and targeting specific people. It's not like SEO doing dark SEO, which yeah, will get you, like you know, banned like like from Google rankings. But yeah, what, no, it's, what, not, it's not like that at all. Do you know what Rachel means by dark social on Facebook? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I do understand, but maybe we have different um, ways of talking about it. But essentially, like, the way that I look at doing dark posts, I don't even I don't even use that really use that term. I just call it advertising, um, you know, advertising uh, in people's feeds versus you know promoting uh, organic content through your actual right. Facebook page. But then you can there's a cross section where you can do both if you wanted to. Um, I think um, so. I'm just gonna read what Rachel just said. Anyways, so Rachel's saying I see it um, as upcycling content and finding new ways to present uh, information in new ways. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, so go ahead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So basically, um, I mean, whichever way you slice it, like um, you can test your if you wanted to test your content organically on your Facebook page and you could do that. Um, but for me, like running as many ads as I can and split testing those ads across different news uh, and testing different placements and where those ads are going to align um, is a really really great time and nets me wicked results. Right, right. That's awesome. Um, talk about, uh, you know, in terms of building digital funnels in general, digital marketing funnels, what are the platforms that you prefer to use? Obviously, it's going to depend on where the target audience is and all that. But when you talk about which which platforms across the spectrum of the work that you do, you tend to spend the most time and see the most, you know, return on investment of that time as well as money. Where do you, where do you tend to put your focus uh, besides Facebook? Um, I, yeah. So I'm all in on Facebook. Um, the, as a, as a platform to drive paid traffic at an effective cost with the most control, like, and to get in front of the most people with the most effective amount of um, data and research, you know, available on any platform, um, in my opinion, maybe that's fact, maybe that's not, but in my experience that, you know, I'm not able to do as targeted and as much uh, audience research than what I can on Facebook. So Facebook's definitely number one. Um, the second one would definitely be, um, you know, email marketing platforms. And I use an email marketing platform called ConvertKit. I love ConvertKit. Um, but I, I think uh, email marketing is not really given, uh, you know, a lot of people that, that love email marketing that know what's up, like love it and are massive right. proponents for it because people know they know how powerful it is but i honestly think that email marketing is a st like still a really really powerful tool that doesn't get utilized as much as it could be right right it doesn't have the open rates that it maybe did 20 years ago but it still is a great way to reach people and probably produces in some ways more than 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 many of the other platforms that people spend their their time on right absolutely absolutely and you know if we, we circle back to what we we're talking about before if you're Email, if you're good at email marketing and, you know, your, the way in which you go about doing your email marketing is focused on providing utility and helping people, um, you know, solve their problems, wh whatever they are related to your business, then it's a really, really effective way to help you nurture and build that relationship and build those points of contact with your audience over an extended period of time. So to take this everything full circle, if we were to bring people from, you know, this live stream and they were to go to uh, my website and sign up to you know, one of my lead magnets, they would then, right. um, you know, start a process of, you know, email marketing series that may go anywhere between, depending on what they do and how they interact with it, can go anywhere between 30 and, you know, 100 and something days. And over that time period, I'm sending out, you know, value, valuable content, 
heavy and focused um, or emails that are very value or content and value heavy. And as I'm doing that, it's helping people further to further and further solve their problems, whether it's related to Facebook ads or digital marketing. And right. that allows me to build that relationship and make it more intimate um, and make it more one on one as opposed to um, doing a live stream like this where I'm talking to a lot of people right. at once. Is there a sort of a sweet spot between bombarding your <laughs> your list with too many emails and going quiet for too long? Like, have you found that there's a certain a certain amount of emails, say, you could send per month or per week or what? It, like, what is your have, have you kind of been able to calibrate that or is it just something that depends on the audience and the situation and the the level of interest and all sorts of different factors yeah i think i think there's always going to be um there's always going to be so many different variables that come to play um you know when it when you basically you're trying to work out how many emails you should send and um you know how frequently you should be sending them but i think it all comes down to um learning what works for your audience and what works for your business and just like i say with everything just testing and improving and iterating and optimizing and working out what's and you know what's best, what works best for you. And I know that that answer is kind of a, it's right. it kind of toes the line. It's not really giving you exactly. Uh, it's not giving people like a blueprint because everyone's like, I need a blueprint. Like, what do I need to do? And I honestly think like you just need to put in a bit, a bit, a bit of work. And you know, if you're not sure, start with maybe one a week. And don't make it a newsletter. Make it like an engaging email that's focused on selling a problem. And if you want to get really good at it, make your email marketing. You know, split your email marketing up into different segments or different buckets. And right. within each of those buckets, drop different uh, members of your audience into those buckets. And by doing that, you, you then know, let's say um, in my, let's, for example, um, hypothetically, if I've got three buckets, right, and maybe one of right. the buckets is where I'm teaching people how to drive free traffic to their face, uh, to their business using Facebook, um, organic, so, or organic Facebook. And then another right. bucket is teaching people how to, um, drive traffic to their website and generate leads using Facebook ads. And then I've got another bucket that's teaching people how to use, you know, fully a very comprehensive digital marketing funnels, which tie everything in together to essentially monetize your audience without pissing them off at the same time. Right. So right. those are my three buckets. And I know that people based on their previous actions to my website, my content, my lead magnets are falling into those different buckets. Then I know that I can talk to or that I need to talk to one audience in a specific way and send them certain content as what I do with my other audiences. So I wouldn't go and send comprehensive information about building a digital marketing funnel, software, tools, platforms, shortcuts, cheats, um, cheat sheets. Uh, I wouldn't send those, that content to my bucket uh, that's only looking to learn how to use Facebook right. for free to drive traffic. So that makes me more relevant to each individual audience, which makes my marketing and my messaging more important I guess more relevant to each of those audiences. This which is really great. This is amazing thank advice. Thank like my head is working right now. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I could send different stuff to people who are basically interested in live streaming from a broadcasting standpoint versus people who are interesting it interested in it from a marketing standpoint. That's what I'm And they're gonna have correct, totally bro. different like the broadcasting people want to know about the latest microphone and the latest camera and I'm lighting saying, and background. Want, and the want, marketers want, want to know like, what converts, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Because you, you're so right. So you, look, you've already just then. We've, let's go. Let's use this example and take it full circle, right? So right. you've got you've got two specific audiences that you've outlined, right? You've got um, the presenter audience, like you said, that's interested in the tech and they're interested in, um, you know, they might be what kind of widescreen um, widescreen uh, webcam is Paul using right, right. now. Um, you know, they might be interested in the software, like uh, what's this Blue Jeans network that you're broadcasting um, this through? How are you how are you connecting that to Facebook Live? Uh, can you right. do it to Periscope? Whatever. But that's all informations and questions and challenges that that audience is having. And that audience is having completely different challenges right. to your other audience, which may be marketers like me um, that may want to learn. OK, cool. Um, leave all the tech stuff for someone else that's going to set that up. How can right. I define an ROI and how can I use live streaming? Or how can I sell the, the um, you know, the concept of live streaming to my clients to help them sell their stuff? Or how can I use live streaming for, you know, the business that I work for in the same way right. to sell to sell stuff or whatever your goals are? And then those are two different two different types of audiences. And then you could go and create content for those different types of audiences, different blogs, videos, tutorials, whatever. 
Um, right. You can have a content library on your website for both different categories. Let's say you've got 10 articles uh, that speak to those different audiences um, specifically um, and right. separately. And then you know who's in those different audiences. So you can then go use audience insights on Facebook to research, okay, well, I need to work out what kind of people will be in my you know, live stream broadcaster archetype audience and what pages right. would they like and how old are they and where do they live and what do they look like? Build that archetype and then run your ads that are promoting all those different articles you know, as a split test to that audience to see what works and what converts the lowest, uh, you know, lowest cost. And you do exactly the same thing for the marketers. And then you've segmented your audience specifically and relevantly. And that's where you, that's the power of it. And that's that's where stuff gets really, really fun. And then your audience will thank you for it because you're being so relevant to them. So right, I just went on right. a super big rant, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just want to give a quick shout out th- and say thanks to everybody watching on Facebook Live. If you do have a question for Paul, feel free to come over. You can join us here on Blue Jeans very easily. Just go to rossbrand.live and that'll take you in. You can enter your question in the chat. Um, just a quick feedback from Beauty Bubble mentions that she's listening and poking around the ad campaign thing on Facebook, and you're to blame. So she's doing that right you're now. You're welcome. <laughs> says you are amazing. So that's that's awesome feedback. Uh, Rachel asks a, a, a good question here. She says, any tips for growing your subscriber list? Obviously, before you can segment and target people, you you actually have to get people onto that list. Correct. Um, how a few tips on how you would go about doing that? Sure thing. Um, so let's just keep things on the same uh, train of thought and example that we've been right. using already. So let's use your live stream broadcaster example because I think everyone can understand that. Um, everything that I've said about doing your audience research and knowing who your customer is and really having a clear idea, you need to know all of those things. And then knowing all of those things, you should also by definition know what challenges and what problems and what issues does your that audience have okay so if we use a live broadcaster a live stream broadcaster um example again so challenges and problems just off the top of my head for that audience maybe like you said earlier ross like what tech do you use what microphone do you use um do i go get a do i get a blue yeti microphone or do i get um do i have to you know a blue yeti micro usb microphone or do i go and get a massive um you know a panel that plugs in, I don't even know the, you know, right. all the tech stuff, but do I have to go and get a massive soundboard and to get a really good studio quality? Where do I buy my boom arm from? Uh, what is a boom arm? Um, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of tech related stuff, um, specifically for people that are pre live streaming or that are trying to increase their level of um, professionalism or their level of quality of what they're doing. Those are challenges, problems and issues that they need the answers to. And if you're trying to sell something to them eventually, then you definitely want to be solving those problems in the best way that you can um, before you eventually sell whatever you're trying to sell to them. And, you know, a great way to build your list then for that audience would be building a specific type of lead magnet to build your opt-ins based on solving those problems that that audience has. So um, something you could create to solve that problem for the live stream broadcaster um, audience in a lead magnet form could be, could be a cheat sheet or like a um uh, an infographics like 10 uh 10 steps to go from um zero to 100 in live streaming in less than 24 hours and it could be right. a blueprint so exactly everything you need to do in order to get set up or how to um how to start live streaming uh 101 the cheat sheet or how to start start live streaming cheat sheet and you're going to be offering that lead magnet to your audience and i feel like and please correct me if i'm wrong ross because this sounds like your audience and not mm-hmm. mine but I feel like if you were to present that type of value orientated uh, piece of content to your audience that's looking to learn more about live broadcasting and live streaming, that that's something that they would be willing to give you their email address for. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, definitely. And then and then for the marketer side, you could do like 10 types of shows or, you know, 10 types of uh, live broadcasts that convert or that lead to sales or that, you know, that. that you know, that build your list or whatever it is, 100%. you focus on that side of it. And then what I'm seeing here too, is this, this kind of guides how you like, you do all your content marketing as well. Like even your blog category down to your blog categories, you now have your blog categories sort of segmented in the same way. So 100%. when you bring somebody in with a blog post on the broadcast side, then they can click broadcast and they get, get your, your past articles that are targeted to them your marketers can click marketing or live streaming for marketing or whatever and 
you know, you can yeah. obviously have multiple. Well, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I'm so just, I'm say, not just like, saying like the whole game plan can can really play out across platforms, right? Oh, 100%. And, it, and then you're layering, you're layering everything. Mm-hmm. So you're layering those different la- those different levels of relevance. So if you're bringing people into the very top of your funnel with you know general awareness, and they're just reading uh, um, how to get started, uh, how to get started with live streaming in less than 20 minutes, it's a blog right. article, right? And right. Then you've got, you know, like all six six tips to get started with broadcasting in less than 20 minutes. So let's live broadcasting less than 20 minutes. So that's, let's say that's right. your blog article. And then let's, if you've built like that cheat sheet or that lead magnet that we were talking about earlier, you could then embed that lead magnet into that article so that people right. can click through to that. Because I feel like people that are reading that article that are interested and in click through to read that article are going to be interested definitely in that lead magnet because they're so relevant to each other. And that's right. where you can start you know, getting those opt-ins um, and building that audience. And then the best thing is if you've layered all the content of your website and you've started with what your audience's problems and challenges first are, everything's laid, everything's relevant specifically to those different audiences so that when the people when people dr- join your list through those lead magnets, they can then, you can then recycle your content that's within that same category to those specific buckets. So right. that you're only speaking and providing relevant content to your specific audiences. And that's what makes it super powerful. And definitely another reason why you should do your planning and understand problems that you're solving and who you're solving them for before you even start ads. Now, when it comes to, you know, delivering your content, um, obviously your website, right, is your hub, right? You try and drive, you try and drive traffic back to your website with your social posts. That's you, you kind of follow that philosophy. Absolutely. And I, I also I also subscribe to the notion that you shouldn't rely on building. I think building social profiles and building large followings is you know definitely important because, you know, you want to build your tribe. But I don't think that relying on any one social network is a good idea at all, because, you know, if Facebook was not that this probably won't happen. But, you know, if, let's right. say Facebook died in the next two years and you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a million likes on like real likes on your Facebook page. And then in two years time, no one's using Facebook and you've got like a million likes. What's that done for you? Well, it's it's done really nothing. It might've been good back in the day, but there's no future return that you can make from that asset because it's not an asset. It's just, it's just, numbers that you can't control. There's no control. way to monetize those blab props, right? Exactly. Exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. So you definitely always want to be bringing people into your own ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Use the other platforms that are out there, but don't rely on them because that's, you, you know, you don't want to go and build a house mm-hmm. on um, on rented land. And right. you know, let, let's say you went and built a house on rented land. I think I'm paraphrasing Gary. I think I heard this, we since say this a while back, but if you build a house on rented land, like, cool, you've just invested, let's say, you know, $400,000 in building a house. But if you're only renting the land, the landlord's like, yo, sorry, bro. I'm just going to, uh, going to take this land back. I don't no care rule, no houses on this, this place, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. So you have the kind of like the, the rug swept out, out from underneath you. And if you haven't siphoned that audience onto your own platform, whether it's your email marketing list or, you know, onto your website, then, you know, if, shit hits the fan like you're not going to have a very good time that's not a really good way to build a um, longevity uh, with your marketing in my opinion right right so that said in order to raise awareness about what you're doing will you take a blog post and either repost it or repurpose it rewrite it whatever and put it on linkedin or put it on medium or do you focus on just using social platforms sort of to tease what what you're doing and then draw people through the link back to your website with me um with me these days i've gotten to the point where i'm really just going all in on facebook and a little bit of instagram and snapchat um mm-hmm. and not really focusing too much on other networks and the reason that i've and that's been a conscious a conscious effort and a conscious decision because i mean i'm across all um like the majority of the platforms but i've realized that for me anyway it works a lot better for my business and for my goals if I focus in and zero on one thing that works or two things that works rather than spreading myself too too thin. Um, so for me, the process of promoting content, and this is not for everyone, um, right. but for me, I get the highest return from promoting content um, using Facebook ads and doing a bunch of split testing and a bunch of research to work out who my perfect customer is and you know what, um, 
how to perfectly target them on specific placements, whether it's Instagram, desktop, or you know, mobile. And once I've worked that out, rolling out the best iteration of that testing and then increasing my budget to get the results at the lowest cost possible uh, using Facebook ads. So that's kind of the uh, the doctrine that I subscribe to, mainly because it saves me the most time and it gets me the highest amount of results at the lowest cost. Now, if if I I may have missed it, uh, but you didn't mention Twitter in there, right? When you were talking I about, did not, I did not. I did not mention Twitter. Um, it's not the same. You feel not active on Twitter. right? I mean, I mean. I think there's a certain sense, right? If you're in business, you need to keep up appearances on Twitter at least, right? Because that's kind of your greeting card, right? It's you can find me on Twitter, you can reach out to me on Twitter. It's it's an easy way for people to know where you are, and and then they can read your bio there, and they can go onto your website and so forth. Um, But I find that beyond sending people messages like "Hey, catch my show tonight," and tagging them in a photo or tagging them in a message or that the exchanges that go on during Twitter chats, which are basically educational and social and enjoyable for their own purpose, I don't get that much return on on Twitter. Um, if I want somebody to read a blog post or something, I, I'm I'm just putting it out there. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm bad at using Twitter or anything, but you're just not getting a lot of click-throughs and a, and a I lot think, of... I think, I th- I think therein lies the problem though, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I completely agree and I use right. Twitter for the same reasons and I'm in Australia and Twitter's not as big in Australia as what it is in the States. And that was when I visited last year, that's oh, earlier this year, sorry, back in March. Um, I, I mean, working in the space that I work in, like I, I understand conventionally that it's quite large over there, but compared to Australia, it's out of control, but that's not even... I feel like it's a shadow of its former self. And I feel like its main problem is what you just described there, because I do the same thing, that there is not much engagement. There is so much noise and everyone's basically just like, you know, I feel like it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that like everyone's just trying to put stuff out to get noticed. And I'm guilty of this too, right? So I'm not pointing any fingers, but everyone's just promoting content, promoting content. And then there's really no real interaction or real engagement. And if everyone's just promoting and there's no actual real connecting, then what are you doing there? And that's one of the other reasons why, you know, I still do it because there's, I get a marginal return from my time and uh, investment in that platform, but nowhere near like different worlds of return compared to what I do with Facebook. Um, And I I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, one being that, you know, that Twitter with uh, their lack of introduction uh, and their lack of being able to control um, the distribution of their content in a, Mm -hmm. in a, when all their all the competitors were you know restricting reach, they were just letting it uh, be real time, which was really great. But then there became an oversupply of information and content, and then you know like marketers got on there, and everyone else that wants to sell stuff got on there, and they realised that the more you kind of uh, make noise, the more you can potentially be heard, and that just leads to a lot of a lot more noise. And I think that's um, there in lines a bit of the main issue with Twitter. In yeah. My, in my I mean- yeah, no, I I'm glad to hear you say that because um I I feel the same the exact same way about Twitter and it's become so scheduled and so automated and uh, you know I I think to to a good degree scheduling is fine as scheduling posts right because that could ideally free you up to engage more right in, uh, in I, I do it I do it but, I do it but. There's so many automated responses and automated ways people are adding you to lists, and it just makes the, the platform so busy and so noisy that unless I'm spending an hour focused on a Twitter chat or I need to reach people because of something and I'm sending them a message that I'm tagging them in, I just I, I just don't see the engagement that I used to see on Twitter. And I, I think it's interesting. That's why I think it's really interesting that you didn't mention Twitter at where you're you're spending your time. And I know that depends on, you know, what, what your products are and what your services are and all sorts of variety of things. But I think it also reflects a wider, a wider recognition of what's going on just in general in social media. Absolutely. And I think also the, um, the other thing that's going on, I mean, maybe, maybe with all social or with Twitter in, in um, that example and kind of what I was talking about earlier is that is the, um, you know, we share the same opinion. We haven't spoken about this before, but we share the same opinion because it's kind of um it's a subtle nuance of using the platform you know what i mean like right. like that's what's going on and we are defaulting to thinking like that and you know if we're if we're thinking like that chances are a bunch of other people 
are thinking like right. that. If that's the overarching attitude that people are taking to the platform, you know, it, like I said before, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If that's how people think the platform is, then that's how the platform's going to be. And therefore, like, no one really wins, despite the fact that right. people want to be able to engage with people more. And they want it to be like 2009 Twitter and they want it to be, um, you know, like a town hall again. But, right. you know, I feel like that's, uh, that was a... The fact that Twitter didn't innovate with their with their um, with their algorithm and with the way in which they controlled the you know the distribution of noise in their platform, I think, has really just come to hurt them and kind of resulted in the what we're seeing play out right now. Yeah, and Beauty Bubble hits a key point. However, I must say it's my only digital footprint that bolsters social proof. And while it may not be other people's what that they feel it's their only one, it still is. I mean, Carlos makes the point about it being sort of a digital. It's a splatter of a resume, including interests and some personality. And that's what I'm saying. As much as everybody says followers don't matter, what's the first thing you look at when somebody new follows you or sends you a message? The first thing you notice is how many follow. So it's almost like, like I say, it's almost like a requirement to have some followers, to have your resume, sort of your, your bio telling what you do and what you're about and how people can connect with you and so forth. Um, but in terms of the actual results, I think it's much harder than than it than it used to be. And, and Carlos Phoenix mentions that you know Twitter's kind of going towards the multimedia thing, and and that, yeah. that could be could live video, could could Apple TV, could all these these different type of uh, of things. Live events is another place where there is engagement, like live video, like the the NFL football games on Twitter, the debates on Twitter. Um, now they're they're going to more more actually produce TV programs streaming live on on Twitter, and so all that opens up opportunities for conversation and engagement. At least until people figure out how to automate and game that as well. <laughs> so, um, so I, no, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. Um, so before we, you know, as we're about to about to wrap up, what's the the one thing that you see that most people could do better or could do that they aren't doing to up their game in terms of digital marketing? Um, I think just, uh, yeah, it's going to sound like cliche advice, but just, just, you know, just do a Nike, you just do it. Like, right. just do it. Just like, and if you're just get out of your own head and just do it. And I know that like, and I'm like big thing that I try and work on or have been trying to work on myself personally um, recently is just getting over this kind of, uh, I think everyone struggles with this, but just getting over this uh, internal need for profession, for perfectionism and just doing it and just putting it out there and just doing it. I think that's the most important advice that I can give. Um, and then if you don't know what you're doing, I mean, I don't know how much coffees are pretty expensive in Australia, but you know, in Australia you pay, I'm not even joking. You pay like four to $5 for like a regular coffee, um, which is, uh, it's just really astronomically expensive. But I mean, let's call it, if you have two coffees a day, right. Fifth average of $2.50 each in the States, depending on where you're living. Like if you can afford to like forego those two coffees a day, you know, for a few weeks, just to give you a bit of extra budget to play with, uh, you know, $5 a day, to start playing with ads and experimenting. And I think that'd be a really good investment in your time. Not that I'm trying to make you do a Facebook ads, but <laughs> if you're trying to get results like, like a, I'm like, I'm getting nothing from Facebook being like, buy their media, I'm getting nothing. But I think right. that if you're trying to um, get better, then the best way to get better is by doing. And you can, can learn, you can read, and you can go and consume my content, other people's content, watch as many YouTube videos as you want, like whatever. But I think the most important thing is for you to go and do it and just to literally not put your money where your mouth is, but just throw a bit at throw a bit of money at it and see what happens and see what works and you you know audit yourself and audit the results and then improve and then within that just like anything you'll learn you'll get better and then you'll be like oh I can do this way faster now it's not so much of a massive hurdle and learning curve and then you can you know up your skills and potentially start getting some pretty cool results well I learned a ton in this past hour and I think I'm coming away really motivated to um, try some different things out on Facebook and email marketing and list building um, so thank you so much Paul um, no you can find me Ross yeah, at Paul Ramondo and uh, PaulRamondo.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Um, and how else, uh, how would you like people to reach out to you if somebody wants to work with you or 
follow up? What's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, just um, either you can check out my website, which is paulramondo.com. Um, and, you know, best way to reach out to me is just to flick me an email. Um, and it's just paul at paulramondo.com. Um, and I will, uh, we're going to have notes for this all. Um, I'll make sure I comment on yeah, all yeah. the uh, all the links and stuff and all of the stuff that's been posted out. But that's the easiest way to re- get in touch with me and reach me. And um, if you can't do that, just go through my Twitter account and then you'll be able to get through uh, to my website. <laughs> and work out from there. Through Twitter, right? Yeah. So thanks so much. Uh, we'll be back Monday. No worries, with thanks another- for me. Thanks so much. We'll be back Monday with another episode. Uh, and Thursday night, we have a special episode, 7 p.m., Eastern Ask the Expert, Chris Strub is joining me, talking about using uh, social media and live video for nonprofits and, you know, in his travels around, uh, a great Snapchat storyteller. Looking forward to talking to Chris on Ask the Expert. When I put that name together, I didn't think about how difficult that is to say quickly. (laughs) Ask the Expert. Anyway, thanks to everybody joining us on Facebook Live and here on Blue Jeans. And thanks to Paul Ramundo. Have a great night, everybody.